Welcome to Help from Future Self. Hello, Archons. Welcome to Help from Future Self, the conversational Keyforge podcast by and for Keyforge friends. I'm your host, Sydney, and this week I have my friend Blake with me. Hey, Blake, how are you doing today? Hey, Sydney, how are you doing? I am doing pretty fantastic. I'm excited. So as everyone is listening to this, we will have just, or I will have just gotten back from the Roseville Vault Tour, but right now I'm about to leave for the Roseville Vault Tour. So I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of hyped for the whole thing. I, uh, I, I'm honestly, my, my nerves are, are really strung out and I'm, I've been practicing like crazy and, uh, but I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Like it's going to be, it's going to be so much fun. Yeah, I think this is going to be a good one um, for many reasons. Uh, first off is because of a recent arg- article that was released. Yeah, there was the uh, Swiss Playstyle 2LO that they announced in the um, Tournament Format Changes article that they released. And we'll we'll be talking a lot more about that after I come back because it'll make a lot more sense for us to, to chat about how it actually went. And we can talk about all the changes and how the implementation felt. Amazing. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. But there there was an article talking about that the, the original two-loss bracket system which caused for long wait times is now been altered and the roseville one which you're hearing about you've probably actually heard all about it at this point by the time you're hearing us speak about this you've probably seen the internet blow up in some way or another about how it went but um, yeah, so we're really excited today because we're going to be doing our AMA episode. So we're going to be answering all the questions that we um, can possibly fit in. But some of these questions we are going to save for a whole episode of their own in the future. So we may not answer all of the questions that were asked in that channel, but um, there's a, a good chance that they get their whole own episode after this. Yes, indeed. It was great. And some we if some felt there was a little bit of overlap, we may have omitted questions in that regard. But for the most part, we did our best to answer everything. But yes, we we saw some ones that we thought, oh, this would be a great topic just to have its uh, own room for its own discussion rather than trying to uh, not do it justice in a shorter format like we're doing here. Right, totally. So uh, before we hop in, listen to the end of the episode to find out the last winner of our giveaway. So our last name deck is going to be announced at the end of our episode. And um, by the time you're hearing this, 100% of all of the giveaway prizes have been sent out or handed off. And thank you everyone who entered. And it was absolutely amazing. Yeah, seriously. I wonder what we'll do at uh, 300. I know, right? (laughs) Okay. So uh, on to the AMA section. So the first one we have is from M. Auglier, that's M-A-U-G-L-I-R. And this is a question for you, Sydney. And it says, does this mean we'll now see Chris next week? You said so on your (laughs) podcast. (laughs) (laughs) So this is Michael Hurley from Ghost Galaxy. And I'm I'm so touched that he listened. And I I I think I unfairly summarized the episode in my last statement. So like the last thing that I said to him on the episode was, so we'll see you when double elimination is gone. And so a handful of people have reached out to me and asked me about Chris because that's the last thing I said. But there are a handful of things he brought up in the episode that would be more important really in in his uh, trip back to Vault Tour. So like... He mentioned that uh, when when it's more casual friendly, he's he's really excited to come back, and uh, that might 
be something like having a three deck sealed um, event or a, a prize wall or, you know, a leaderboard, like all that kind of stuff. Like the, the whole episode goes over it. But I, I think I did him a disservice by by saying that is the last thing I mentioned on the episode. Oh, yes, I know. The uh, the lack of sealed was that's that's all I heard from that episode was was Chris <laughs> basically made it very clear if there are sealed events, he will be there. So that's unfortunate that we won't see Chris at the vault tours. But uh you know, we got to we got to keep him guessing the anticipation will build as such. exactly he's just going to randomly pop up like when all of the stars align, and he wants to come and we get a babysitter those all those things and <laughs> uh, and he'll be at a vault tour. But our, our next question is actually from another Ghost Galaxy employee. So Orbital Tangent is Josh, their newest employee. And uh, he asked, what do you want for prize support? More specifically, if you could handpick the five coolest things to win at any level of a tournament, what would they be? So, Blake, why don't you go first? Okay, yeah, we're both going to answer this one. Um, so, for me, I, I couldn't come up with five things because I really there's really only like two things I, I really want. So, um, I want alt art decks back, those things. Or not even all art decks, but even if it could be something like the way we had Savior decks where the Archon art had a differentiation from other things, uh, that would be also really cool. Because I know the alt art, you obviously have to commission things and it becomes a lot more complicated, especially like finding what was inside of it, things like that. So I think that having an alternate Archon backing for certain print runs for these would be really cool because they're associated with the store and then i also think that having uh, any type of like swag in the form of apparel bags hats things like that is is something uh the one thing i can say that um i don't really want to say this is a much easier one that what i don't want is cardboard tokens cardboard game components that is no bueno we've we've had enough of that leading up until this point that we have an abundance of things that we don't really use um i think that something more unique the the definitely the um the resin things were were much more appealing because of the fact that they were a unique token uh and i think people like to have unique tokens that i think is one of the greatest things about keyforge is people can express themselves through the tokens they choose to use and uh, that's why we don't need any of the the really easy to print or create cardboard stuff i understand from a logistics side it's great for price work but i don't really like uh that side of things and play mats we don't need more play mats <laughs> unless they're like ones that have something that say state right on it like first place second place like those ones that ffg did at the end that were very specific and stated that you were a top finisher like they did at the latest vault tour with your top four play mat that you got sydney i think stuff like that is is much more more valuable it's so funny because you and I didn't share our answers before this episode, but like my answers are so incredibly similar. It's it's hilarious. <laughs> so first on my list is is like something commemorative, like you were saying with the, with the alt art or um the, that kind of stuff. But in, in my like commemorative examples are like the pins, the the pins that we oh, got for going yeah, to everything. Call. But those are like vault those. tour level. So like another thing we could do either vault tour level or op like local level are named decks now that you can actually like we know that they can insert a name into anything like maybe like certain stores get decks with the name of the store in them or like vault like the gamma winners decks. yeah exactly those were awesome i love those totally and like like maybe vault tour winners get their names in the decks or uh, they get to like pick another deck with a new name or whatever but like so i i like the idea of like commemorative things for for having attended an event um and then also like you said uh the swag of like the the bagger or apparel like personally me 
I love wearing Keyforge clothes. And I don't know if y'all have seen like my posts on the discords and Facebook, but whenever I, I go somewhere, like I'm specifically wearing something related to Keyforge. So if there is the possibility of getting more Keyforge clothes, I want it. And then really quick, my, my last ones, everyone loves a, a plushie. So the, uh, the Gruens were great. Mm-hmm. And I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Blorb would make a fantastic plushie. Um, might have to get more than one. So, so my kids don't touch mine. Um, and then the, the last thing on my list here are, are like intangibles. So things that like, I, I don't physically walk away from an event having one, but like the leaderboard, having the pride of being on it, or even like the, uh, the Gen Con uh, video that they did at the end, having like a, a spotlight article or video on like a winner of something big or somebody who's earned something by attending a lot of something at their their local level you know like the first person ever to retire a deck because of change for ffg like they recognize that person you know so having a reason to be recognized by gg would also be a, a fantastic prize i like that that's a good one all right so um next we have a question from zach from keyforge public radio uh, Sid, this is for both of us, but I'm going to throw it to you first, Sydney. It says, in your mind, what does ideal local group support from Ghost Galaxy look like? So my am- answer is short and sweet, and I know you have a lot more to say on this, but for me, it would be something structured. So something just a little bit more than telling the the LGS that Keyforge exists, have people show up, and here's your price support. Um, and price support also uh, matters in in that way too, but like just maybe giving the um, the the LGS a, a little bit more of something so that they don't have to rely heavily on the player base who show up to to run the event, and that happens in a lot of stores that we're involved with. Because if you're listening to this, you're probably an invested member of the community. But I'm also talking about stores that could possibly bring in people that aren't plugged into the community yet. I, I like the way you said that, Sydney. I also like the phrasing that Zach used because it, it doesn't say stores. It actually says local group because of the the way that you could maybe not be a part of a store. But um, as we are really strong communities where we can have an individual take the bull by the horn, so to speak, and start their own thing. Like, I mean, I... I personally handle my own local group and I organize it. You may notice in the Help From Future Self, there is a locals channel. That is because that's for us to organize our events uh, here in Vancouver. I know Zach, I think, does something similar in his area. But I mean, you don't actually need an LGS to do this. You could create your own group if you have a public space where you can play. Like even like the concept of Keyforge in the park is something I've been thinking about so much. I love that. You could that. just go to a park, yeah, and and play in the summertime or if you are lucky enough to live somewhere where the weather is nice for most days of the year. Um, I think it would be a great thing to do. Obviously, elements such as wind could not be your friend. But that aside, um, I think outdoor Keyforge is a lot of fun. But going back to the question, I, I, I agree with what you said. Uh, tournament concepts, uh, having ideas for for league or or a monthly sort of feature idea i think would be great like so the stores can run maybe this month is adaptive month this month is um alliance month like things things of that nature that just create different ways to enjoy the game where as a community the stores can just do it because i think you you actually hit the nail on the head is right now we're in a position where we the community are driving anyone coming to our stores and our stores right now have been burned by FFG by essentially abandoning the game on an OP level for the most part. 
And then now after a few years, they're coming back. And in, in that time frame, other games have also crept up. So there's a lot of stuff there. And those games are not leaving it. They're actually giving a structured setting of how their their games and tournaments will be held. And then there's usually a community member who kind of leads a lot of the games within the stores. But they don't have to really do any of that work. They're just responsible for maybe being the ambassador, we'll say, right. for their store. And I, and I really think that's what we need. And... And I think reasons to come back regularly. So the having things like the leaderboards, like the store, when we did the store leaderboards to to get like, if you're ranked, you get, you get decks. That was a reason to come back. That was, I think that was the, the best initiative that FFG did during their reign for local stuff. Um, and I don't think that idea is necessarily the same like need, but if you had it as, cause that was a monthly thing. I think having prizes that are are won on a tournament by tournament basis is is more effective than having a monthly thing because certain people's schedules will make it so they can't come every month or maybe your store can't have a regular monthly they only have a monthly thing so therefore that will make it a little bit harder to run something like that but just having maybe an overall leaderboard for your store for different various things um i think that'd be really cool i even like the idea of if if gg could come up with like scavenger hunt things And so this is like, if you perform these actions within the course of a tournament, so you even have to win the tournament. It's like, you're looking to achieve doing something within your game. Yeah. Epic quest, or maybe it's like create X amount of tokens within on the board within a certain time, like have more than 10 tokens on the board. It's like one of your, your things. And if you hit it, you get a check mark and it's almost like a bingo card of keyforge. So you're playing to win, but winning the game doesn't mean you actually win the objective of the day i think having fun events like that where it's not emphasizing the competitive nature of winning but doing fun things with your decks would be a really cool way to get people playing keyforge where you may not be the best player but you can do this activity and get to do something really fun and still enjoy playing keyforge in different ways and if you like winning then you could play it for that reason either way you still come out with with an activity to do on a weekly or monthly basis that's so true i love it that's a great idea i'd like to see some of that stuff at vault tours too yeah, side events, you have a scavenger hunt or a bingo card type of thing. I think I think it'd be really a really fun way of of adding a more casual element where people are just interacting and having fun. Especially I think this could be very powerful to new players joining the game because if they're they may not win every game because they're they're just new to it, so they don't have the experience, but this would provide an achievement they can reach and then also maybe be rewarded for it as well so I, I just think there's a lot of a lot of power in something like that that's a great one blake i really i really like that but so moving on to our next question Beehawk asks what keeps you coming back to keyforge and how many games do you play online or in person a week all right so first off i would say online i'm, I'm about three-ish right now because my schedule <laughs> is a little bit little bit tight but uh i i would love to do it more just i i just don't have the the bandwidth right now to do it uh plus when i'm going on to play it's usually like west coast getting close to midnight and i find everyone in the east coast is is asleep and i feel like the west coast crowd is is way way less so as a result i don't usually get to play with as many people um online but um yeah that's that's the the main reason is my late night activities and, and i'm in the in between where the european and, and asian market quite hasn't quite woken up yet to be a part of it so yeah here i am uh in person right now it's it's once per month at the store level because that's what we've decided on for my store just based on getting space um unless goldfish counts and then 
maybe five or six times a oh, week. I love if it. You count playing with yourself in person. Um, and then uh, why don't I throw this back to you, and then then I'll I'll answer what. Then we can go back and forth of what keeps us coming back. Sounds- so Sydney, how many times are you playing each week? So normally I'm I'm like like five to ten games on on TCO. I'll just I'll open my computer during my lunch break or like in the in the evenings. I'll just I'll just it's it's what I do for chill fun. Um, especially like if I'm testing a new build or something. But and and that leads into leading up to a vault. When I am practicing a deck, I will play 30 or 40 times a week. Like I will prioritize my lunch break being TCO or my evenings being TCO. But in person, I also every Tuesday play at uh, my Tuesday night local. So I will, I'll play three to four games and a Tuesday night, but uh, as much Keyforge as possible is the answer. <laughs> and then going back to uh, what keeps you coming back to Keyforge. So for me, I think it's, it's discovery is is the first and foremost. And then and then with that discovery also comes connecting with the community. So online you get to connect with connect with the community. And then when I'm playing in person, connecting with the person across the table, having that conversation. Uh, I, I honestly prefer in person because I do like to use any card game I play. The main reason I play it is to be away from technology and just have that great in-person interaction. But discovery is a big one for me. And it comes in so many forms. It's playing a deck uh, as is, opening it out of the package and figuring out how it works. Uh, new sets, seeing how the set feels and how the houses feel because of the way the commons come. It's it's looking at a deck and going, this deck looks garbo. And then playing it and go, oh, it's not flashy, but it, it really is nice. Like it has a nice feeling when you play it. And then there's Alliance as well, which is a whole new level of discovery for me and something I didn't expect where... You're discovering how you can make something come together and you have control over what works and then taking something out, putting something in and just seeing the feeling of how that plays now because there's a familiarity and also a difference. So all those levels of discovery that happen within the game, uh, I really enjoy. How about you, Sydney? Fantastic. I I love what you said there. Um, and I, I agree with you. I I think that the, the people are actually one of the biggest reasons I come back to playing. And it's it's kind of funny. So because I take a handful of lunch uh, TCO games, there is a different community of people that play at 12 p.m. noon, noon CST than <laughs> 8 p.m. CST. So I feel like I, I literally have like two different communities of people that I play with on TCO. And it's just really cool to like be going back to those same people. And like, that kind of is what keeps me going back at lunchtimes is the fact that I am probably not going to play against those people in the evenings. And so if I don't play at lunch, like I don't get to like see the same people or, or rematch on a game I played yesterday. Uh, the, the flip side of that is I do love practicing the same deck over and over and over and over again. Just the, the intricacies of figuring out how card interactions work that you've never seen before. And so as much as I, I absolutely love discovery and that's why on Tuesdays I take a brain break and, and play those new woe decks. I do in fact think that getting enough games in to get that like 50th, that 75th, that hundredth game with that deck feels good to me because if I know a deck inside and out, I'm confident in it. And then when I learn something new on that hundredth game, it's, it's even more rewarding. Interesting. I've, I've never taken a deck to a hundred. Oh, <gasps> Really? I don't even think I've hit 75 or maybe I have one that's about to hit 75. But yeah, I, that's not how I, I like the variety. But I do have my go-to decks that fit that. But yeah, for me, I've never done that because I always want to try, oh, this looks cool. It's like, ooh, piece of candy. And then I just 
continue <laughs> on. So it's uh it's uh it's really uh, it's really hard for me to commit like that because I I just love the variety that Keyforge provides. All right. Now um next one we have from Kill Welly and this one is for you Sydney. It says how would you go about introducing a friend with Lexus experience in board slash card games to the game of Keyforge? And what decks would you use? How would you play with them? How would you handle obnoxious rules interactions without raining on them? I actually really like this question because I did uh, demo Keyforge for new players at Gen Con. And so I got a lot of games in with people who either they may have had some experience, but there were times when I, I asked, have you ever played Magic or Pokemon before? And they they had no experience playing those games. And so I got a, a wide variety of experience teaching this game to a wide variety of board and card gamers. And so the first thing is that as much as I absolutely love the learning decks that they have available for the less experienced people, I would not go straight to Ghost Galaxy's learning decks. And the reason there is they do a fantastic job teaching most of the mechanics you're going to need to know. But in doing that, I think they're teaching a little bit too much. And on top of that, when you get a handful of situations with those cards specifically where you are increasing the key cost or preventing people from forging, that learning game with those 18 cards, we were only going to one key and some of those games lasted forever because the variety of ways to get to a key matched with a variety of ways to stop a person from getting to a key. And I just want someone playing this game to like feel like they're achieving something instead of feeling like they're being blocked. And so I actually, when thinking about this question, I realize that not only is Coda the best place to start, but I might even do an alliance of three handpicked pods. I don't know if I have one perfect deck to teach someone on, but I know I have a handful of pods that have very few mechanics, very good cards that are slightly more generic. And if I could put those together, like I'm not going for them to have a a crazy experience on their first game if they're not into games or just into board and card games. Um, and so for the obnoxious rules interactions, my, my goal would be to try to avoid them in the first place. Like after giving them their first play experience or two or three, maybe then give them a, a straight up Coda deck or an AOA deck or even the learning decks after that. Because if I have a box of the learning decks, I've bought the package they come in with, which comes with two decks of whatever the current set is. So then we can jump straight into that. So I think mm. the the ramping it up is important, especially if they've never played a dueling card game before. I really like how you said just throw houses together. I've never thought about that. I've always just taken decks as is and looking for the right decks. But I, I think there's a lot more value in taking pods and creating a learning deck or a couple learning decks. I think that's a, a great idea and using different houses. So six different houses, essentially. I think that's actually a, a very great strategy because they they will be none the wiser. They don't know that that's not exactly. an actual deck because it technically could be. Um, it just happens to not be. And I also think that Winds of Exchange has the has such a fun level of discovery, but as something new, there's so many things you have to remember uh, that it could be daunting. Same with Dark Tidings, I think fits into the same boat. There's too many things you need to know and remembering the tide and forgetting. I think that could be a pain point for getting uh, really going. Because the truth is you need to be in the flow state of the game where you're not thinking about the rules as you do things like, oh, I have to remember to do this with a token. Oh, how do you create a token? If you're if you're thinking, how do I do something that is basically the most basic part of a card, mm-hmm. you're, you're going to start losing them because they have to remember. It. It's like playing Lord of the Rings um, LCG, like I love the game. 
but the rules like it it's not a simple thing there's a lot of steps in a turn that you have to constantly refer to if you're not playing it regularly to get into the flow state where you just are doing it automatically without thinking and you don't want those for a new player so i think your approach of coda or even aoa if you want to just up it a little bit just so there's less things but it's more current to how kind of the game is right now with bigger boards and stuff like that if you want to go that route I like that, but I would get rid of the repaint. So I would take out like Pip Pip, the Logos creature that uh, right. stuns you for reaping. Like you get rid of the things. The things that, that slow long- down the game. Exactly. Yeah. But that it, with a, a hand-picked three pods of, of a deck, you can do that. I really like the idea of, of hand-picking pods. I think that is the, the one thing out of everything that was said is no matter how you're teaching someone, pick your pods to allow you to be in control of how it's streamlined and played. I think that's a, a genius way of approaching this. Well, thank you. Um, but I'm, I'm going to pass this question actually back to you because Andy P asked, do you have any strategies for getting Magic the Gathering players to try Keyforge? And so obviously Magic the Gathering players have more experience in a dueling card game. Yes. And as someone who came from Magic, so uh, my path to here was I basically stopped playing Magic and then I started playing Pokemon and then I stopped playing Pokemon and came to Keyforge. And it was actually from uh, Wasi Plays, him talking about Keyforge, listening to his Pokemon stuff that got me to here. And the truth is, is I don't think you can stop a Magic the Gathering player from what they're doing. And there's a couple of reasons. First reason you can't is there is a monetary investment in Magic, which is enormous. Uh, the only plus side to that is, and I know it's from personal experiences, uh, it holds value like Magic. The gathering is a storage of wealth to a degree. Cards have a value. They generally go up over time, just like a market. There's a market set. There's an incredible secondary market. So the the good news is, is getting out of your collection is also easy because there's such a robust secondary market that exists. Almost every single store that's going to carry Keyforge and carries Magic the Gathering is going to be willing to buy product from you. Uh, You may only get 50% value, but you're still getting something back. Um, So... I think with the truth of how to get a Magic the Gathering player over to Keyforge is you need to find someone who's experiencing the pain point of they hate the fact that everyone net decks. They dislike the fact that the community is just everyone copies something that already exists and is playing it. And they're bored because they're constantly having to buy new cards, new things, rotating out all these sort of aspects to the game, which really hurt your pocket and have a limited time in which you're utilizing something. Uh, It may also be the fact that when you open packs, you don't know what you're going to get and the components may not be useful. And you just have this growing collection of cardboard somewhere. Granted, it has value, like you can always get something back for it. But the end goal of trying to get what you want from doing it is not there. So you need to find someone who has a pain point within the game. And the same thing goes for Pokemon. You don't like the community. Those are the two things. They're not happy with the community because they find it's not inclusive. It's very derogatory. It's it's too competitive and people are angry all the time because I've noticed these things exist. Oh. Um, the, the other thing is that they're they're just over the net decking and there's a lack of originality. They're constantly trying to do their own brews and they never truly work out because the truth is something is in magic, like people will test in teams and they have the resources to the best players to basically streamline something because it's like a full-time job almost. It pays as such. So therefore the best things are found quite quickly and then just very slight variations exist. That's the way most um, collectible card games or TCG card games are going to work um it's just it's just the way it is it's the way they're designed essentially so you can't just pull someone out you need to find someone who's already having pain points within 
the game and then you can pounce on that and say hey guess what <laughs> you don't have to deck build everything's original here it's unique it doesn't exist in any other way like this that is the the pull to get them in so you would have to be involved in that community in some level to get back here you know that makes so much sense because the uh the people that did demo keyforge at gen con who had experience like if they said yes to having played magic the gathering or um pokemon and i was chatting with them they they asked questions like that like they they got the game pretty quick but then like those are the kinds of questions they asked while they were playing and it makes so much sense to hear you say that Mm -hmm. yeah that's uh i mean i still play magic but i literally have a commander deck because i know it's it's evergreen the cards in there don't really change i don't play it competitively it's just something i play with my friend and so i'm able to keep one thing and it's unique and i created it for myself how i wanted you can't have multiples it's one card of each so it's uh it's it's the way i play it and i don't play it frequently but it's it's a really just like more personalized thing for me in that way instead of playing like the standard what you go to every week sort of magic sure all right next on we're moving over to a question that came in via email from uh from francisco pancho and um basically his question, I, I really like this question, actually. It says, after 10 months of launching of the Alliance format, do you think that is achieving the goals GG set for it in terms of a attracting lapsed players or new players and increasing the usability of our collection? Sydney, why don't you go first? So my answer to this question is is kind of anecdotal, but it it's the data that I have to go on, which is yes. In terms of attracting lapsed players, so like my friend Doug came in literally to play it. And uh, I think uh, Kodamarin from BDQ was at Gen Con. And so he hadn't played Keyforge forever and he showed up to the to the Nationals. So I feel like of the data that we have, that that is two checkpoints in the right direction for me. Um, but in, in terms of increasing the usability of our collections, I, I basically ha- only have uh, my, myself to really go on here because that's how my AOA build came into being. Like I, I had multiple pods in AOA that I, I put together and then I've iterated on them since. And I have gone to the secondary market since, but that's how the first iterations of my deck existed. Decks that I had never touched before. Um, so I, I think that the answer to to these questions in the context they were asked is yes, so far. All right. Um for me, I, I don't think we can actually answer, or maybe not answer, but I don't think we have the the appropriate data yet for understanding if we've attracted lapsed players because we're only going off of what's happening at the really high travel tournament level. I think until we get store play up and running, we won't truly know this because it's going to be at the local level where this is going to really matter and really have an impact because not everyone can travel to different destinations or vault tours uh, for so many reasons uh, globally especially so it'll be when the local scene is up and running this question will be able to be addressed because you'll start to notice are people i didn't see for a while now back that's going to be first and foremost and then the the next one increasing usability i'm with sydney yes i i personally am looking i, I actually actively go on dok to the bottom of where the SAS scores are real low. And I start looking for things that are interesting that I'm writing off this deck because it looks so bad. Uh, and then I was like, but is there a pod that has something? Because two out of three being bad, you're instantly like, nope, I'm, I'm out of this one. But I'm right. looking for the the hidden gems there. And, and I actively try and find fun stuff to do there. And I notice like a lot of the stuff that are in the middle of the pack, which uh, a lot of people arguably say the most enjoyable Keyforge is in the 60 to 70 SAS range. And the truth is, 
usually that that has that is because you have one or two pods that are really stellar, but then you have one that is real, just <laughs> not great. It is totally. it's very disappointing, underwhelming. Yes, very underwhelming. So that is where you find the po- the the components to have really strong things that are paired with really weak things, and it can sometimes be two out of three are super weak and then that one just shines so strong you're like whoa and then i can actually remember being in sealed and being like oh yeah i remember playing this in sealed and i loved playing this house but these just didn't help me like i it worked in sealed but then next week when i brought my winning deck back it lost because in the truth is these have a lot of shortcomings here but that one house that i really got to see did so great and so yes it does actually allow us to utilize aspects of our collection i think much more than we did before. And like Sydney says, you may iterate out of it. But the point is, it's all about it got you thinking a certain way, creating a concept and going down a path uh, in alliance that required you to use your collection. I, I love what you said about OP there, because you're right. Like we, we haven't actually seen it on a local level. And now that I think about it, like, so I, I am driving 45 minutes to, to play Keyforge every Tuesday, but my local store, the one that's like five minutes from my house hasn't brought Keyforge back yet. But once it does, I, I'm probably going to try and entice all like eight of the people that normally came every <laughs> Wednesday night with a, hey, let's play Keyforge again. Are you interested in uh, maybe a sealed alliance to start with so that you can get your hands on some of the newer decks? Or if you don't want to invest in the in the new set yet, because I know you guys haven't played in two or three years, do you want to bring some of your old stuff? And we can we can try and uh, create alliances that way because we've we've already have like a, a set group of people that used to come every week, but we already all knew like what our best decks were at that point, you know? And so mixing that up might bring them back with a a fresh perspective. Yeah, I agree. So next question on the list, Lazarus asks, what's your favorite set? And what is your favorite house of a set and your favorite combo in that house? For me, I I actually don't have an answer for this because (gasps) I think each set provides a different feeling. And sometimes the Keyforge I want to play at any given time is going to be represented by the set. So Prior to Winds of Exchange coming out, I was obsessed with the Brobnar Coda and fighting and being able to generate Ember from essentially getting rid of my opponent's board and all things like that. That's And, and then Woe came in that literally streamlined that to the nth degree. So in that moment, but I would say that was that only happened like maybe four months before I really got into that style of deck there. So it, it changes for me. It's it's whatever Keyforge I'm thinking of playing. Like maybe suddenly I want to play that Logos high efficiency doing things like that. Or maybe I want to play the Star Alliance house cheating like crazy. And then I'm going to go to Worlds Collide. So I don't have a set thing. It's going to be the the feeling I want to have when I'm playing Keyforge and the way the different houses represent that in any given set will make me do that. Like there's Dark Tiding Shadows, which is one of my absolute most favorite things to to get to experience. So it's going to feel, it's going to be depending on how I'm feeling playing Keyforge. And then I'll go to that deck or that that set that represents with certain decks. I love that answer because my favorite set is probably always the newest set. So... <laughs> Other than than Dark Tidings, I got to experience the release of every set with a group of people at a store doing, playing games, discovering it. And so like, it was always the coolest thing to have the newest set in hand. So like for, for Coda, I fell in love with, with Logos. And then once, like you said, Worlds Collide came out and then like Star Alliance and Saurian were like the coolest thing ever. And, and now that we're, we're in, whoa, like Brobnar is back. So like, mm-hmm. I, I guess if I, like if I had to answer these 
with like the in the current situation, I had to give you an answer. I would probably say Woe and Brobnar because like that is my favorite thing in Woe right now. And then um, the combo wise, like feats of strength and endless hordes, where feats of strength lets you um, create a token every time a uh, uh, creature fights, and then endless hordes is you create a token for every enemy creature and you fight them one by one. So it just like fills the boards with tokens, and it's super fun, and it's very very quintessential Woe to me. And so like, but. Like the broader, the broader answer, like this will change when the next set comes out and the next and the next. And I think that that's what makes Keyforge so much fun. 100%. I completely agree. Uh, next question actually relates to this one. So we put them side by side. And this is from Ultimo Fox for both of us. And it's, what are your favorite house combinations to open in a deck? So, so Sydney, what, what are yours? I, I have a, for, just so you know, heads up, mine is a set by set answer. Oh my gosh, that's so funny. We think so alike. I totally <laughs> have this listed the exact same way. So in uh, Coda and AOA, I really, really like to see Logo Shadows Mars. And Logos I love for the efficiency. Mars I loved for the crazy. And and Shadows, I don't know, was kind of like a, a basic necessity in that time because of the, the race aspect of it. Um, and then okay. uh, Worlds Collide and MM. Um, I liked Star Alliance, uh, for, mostly for the the newness, but also the the pip giving. And then Logos, just because I I absolutely I still loved Logos. Um, and then whoa, Brobnar Sanctum Mars. Right now the like big oh. beefy like creatures on the board, token spamming. Like right now that that those three houses together like make me really excited to get the the deck to the table. Okay, uh, for me I. I have a similar thing. I don't, I'm not going to go as much detail of why for the houses, but Coda, it's for me, is just actually Untamed and Brobnar. I don't have a third preference. Ooh. But it's ob- Untamed and Brobnar are my favorite. I'll tell you this, though. I do not like Coda Shadows. It is mm. my least favorite thing to play. I find it very boring, but I understand it is very necessary within that set. But I, I just don't enjoy playing Shadows anymore. I, honestly, to a degree, Logos as well. Maybe it's because I've just played so much, but I find Brobnar and Untamed have the most interesting interactions for me personally. Cool. In AOA, this was the easiest one for me to answer. This is like, I think this is my my favorite house combination in the game. Exists in AOA. And it's Logos, Shadows, and Sanctum. That Ooh. is my most favorite. And if you can give me an orange Archon card going with it, card back, I'm in heaven. That is like that is the most specific you're going to hear me get on this whole thing. Logo Shadow <laughs> Sanctum with an orange Archon card. That's my most favorite thing. Love it. And then um, going on to Worlds Collide, this one is too easy. It's just Star Alliance, Logos, and the Dinos. Like that is that is so, I, I mean, I think nine out of 10 players would probably say that. Maybe maybe Dis is in there, but like it's that is the easiest one to say. They, they were so overpowered, those three houses. And then uh, next, moving on to Mass Mutations. For me, it's Untamed, Logos, and Dis. Those are my favorites. I love Mutants. Like, like Mass Mutation is one of uh, my favorite sets because of the thematic aspect of having Mutants and having sure. a deck archetype of Mutants. It's one of my most favorite things. Um, actually, if I was going to go back and say what my favorite set is, is probably it probably is actually, if I'm going to, like now that I'm going over this, it probably is Mass Mutations if it's a Mutant deck. That's the thing. Like Ooh, I love okay. playing that archetype. Um, Dark Tidings is Shadows, Logos, and Untamed. I love that house combination. The shadows, shadows, dark tidings though is it's something really special. 
it plays so different than any other shadows that has existed. And I love the pirate thematics that is in there as well. It is just my most favorite thing. Um, those three, like I'm in heaven with those. They're, they're always a good time. And then moving on to Woe. Uh, right now, I'm probably saying Brobnar and Sorian together are my... I don't really have a third one. Like I could say sometimes I think Star Alliance provides really great aspects. Sometimes it's Equidon. Sometimes it's Mars. It can even be Sanctum. Like I'm very... Like even like Unfathomable is really great in there as well. But I really like the the Brobnar dinos interactions. I find them... I'm Those are what I, I seem to be gravitating to the most of decks that I play. That's awesome. I love it. So... Next question. If you were a creature card, which house would you be in? Ooh, Star Alliance. Easy, easy answer. Yeah, <laughs> easy answer. Star Alliance. So the question on Jeopardy, the, one of the ones that was actually gotten wrong was the full name of Equidon. And Compact Merchants of Equidon is the full name of the house. And I'm an accountant in my like normal, boring, <laughs> everyday life. And so I feel like I would make an amazing Compact Merchants of Equidon. Amazing. Love it. I pegged you as a logos, not gonna lie. That was that's Ooh. what I thought you would say. I, I I would have if it wasn't like so close to my heart that like these these Equidon are like merchants with trading and money and like I don't know. I, I love it. I get it. That makes total sense. Next question. So if Ghost Galaxy developed another product under the IP beyond the actual card game, what would you like to see? For examples, art book, fictional story plushy anything else they they haven't done yet and so this one this one's from ketzer for me i i want more emotional investment into the characters and cards in the game so i want a tv show like straight up that's what i want want tv show or comic books something like that because i think that would really pull me like one of the reasons why playing pokemon is so much fun is because the tv show has pulled you into characters and i think a similar thing obviously I don't think Ghost Galaxy has the budget to create a TV show, <laughs> but like ultimately that's what I'd love. So I think a comic book or graphic novel series would be really good. Um, I know Magic the Gathering does really great little promo videos for every set now that have incredible production value. But I think if we could have like a monthly comic book, even something like that, or a graphic novel that is a set-based sort of run of a story, I think that would be be really fun and uh, a really neat way to just get a little bit more into lore and characters and things like that. I, I love that. I especially because like when we we did our book club episodes and I loved reading the books and I can imagine mm-hmm. like seeing those on screen. That would be so much fun. Totally. All right. So next question is from Daniel, and it's for both of us. So I'll throw it to you first, Sydney. If you could create the next new Keyforge house, i.e. after Geistoid, what would it be? Could be based on existing lore, RPG, anomalies, flavor text, or something totally new. So I am very interested. Like, I love what they did with the Compact Merchants of Equidon, where, like, they had, like, kind of like a a fantasy humanoid concept, because even though, like, the actual, like, Equidon themselves are not humanoid, but, like, their their society is, like, their merchants, like, the... Mm. the how they operate is very like I don't know Renaissancey like with with um, just the the garb that they wear and so I was thinking like other types of fantasy humanoids like hobbits or elves or dwarves or just like the world that they can build behind those those concepts and they can give them all new like mechanics and they operate differently so I, I was just thinking like other types of fantasy humanoids would be really cool oh that's awesome yeah I, I love how Equidon it reminds me of 
uh, like Egyptian or Moroccan bazaars and markets. Ooh. That's what it really gives me the the idea of when I when I see it. It has like that desert vibe and everything they show. I, I really like that about them. I think it's super neat. My answer is real fast. It's uh, Sky Pirates, Red Baron. I want to see where Red Baron <laughs> comes from. That's what I want. I already alluded. I like the pirate theme in Shadows. I want to see the Sky Pirates come alive. Love it. That's amazing. No, th- that would be fantastic. Totally. The next question we have is from Sizox. And this one is for Sydney. And it says, what is your favorite board game and why? Oh my gosh, so many. So I love board and card games. Forky Forge, I was a huge board and card gamer, still am. So my, my favorite board game, it's called Great Western Trail. And it is literally <laughs> a game about bringing cows to market. Like, don't ask. It's just, it's so much fun. It's so crunchy and crunchy is, is very like lots of rules, lots of specifics. It's like diving into the deep end. And so um, it could also be considered a, a Euro game, but there's so much to unlock. And each time you play, you play differently. And uh, it's just, don't let the the theme fool you. It's, it's a really fun game. Um, but then, so for card game, outside of Keyforge, obviously, I really love Arkham Horror, the LCG, the living card game, because it's kind of a co-op at a level at which is so in-depth and so detailed. It's like a crunchy Euro co-op. Like, I, I just love, I love all the rules. I love all of the intricacies of it. And the storytelling really comes alive because they really lean hard on the themes of uh, going insane and trying to complete your task before either the the, the monster gets you or you go crazy. Um, and then lastly, I'm going to... the Types of games that I really, really like are Social Deduction and so Witch Hunt, Werewolf, Blood on the Clock Tower, like all those games. Like at Gen Con, I ended up playing some of those games at night. And so I will play a game like that anytime, anywhere, any day. Uh, just ask. Awesome. I do I do like uh, Arkham Horror as well. I just never get it to the table, unfortunately. But I think it's such a fun LCG card game for sure. It's super great. It's a lot of fun. The like intense seriousness when you reach your hand into the bag to pull out a token, like it actually does a fantastic job building the suspense in the same way that like as much as a board game can give you a feeling of a sense of dread and horror, like it's it's really good at building that up. I love I love it. Awesome. All right. So multiple people have asked this and uh, it- it's time to get an answer here on the hot seat. Sydney, are you on Team SAS? <laughs> yes yes i am i am proudly on team sass i know chris dropped that little tidbit uh, a couple episodes ago and yes when i was at philly i i got to chatting with a lot of the members there and especially jason and jared who were like super super deep into alliance and we had like hour-long conversations and i i really was excited when they asked me because i knew that continuing that with with people on on a team it, it felt really meaningful to me and um i've i've been loving like brainstorming with them and, and coming up with ideas and playing with them on the regular so yes i am i am on team sass and i am very very excited to call myself a member of team sass i was super excited when you told me that you were going to be doing this uh, i thought it was awesome and it made so much sense for your competitive exploits and aspirations and it made so much sense to me and i was just like super happy for you when you shared that news with me so congrats sydney that means a lot Blake. thank you so much (laughs) 
Awesome. Well, we cannot end an episode of Help from Future Self without our titular segment. Help, Help from, future, from self. future Self. And this week, the titular segment comes from a question asked by Second Act. And that question is, what strategy tip do you have for players that most have not already heard? And uh, I had to, I had to really like dig deep. I think one of the things that a lot of people don't even remotely consider when they're playing Keyforge is the shuffling of their deck. So my my tip, I guess, my my strategy tip is learn different ways to shuffle. And use more than one of them before each game. So whether you're, you're riffle shuffling or you're, you're pile shuffling, there's so many ways to shuffle your deck and different ways of shuffling have different drawbacks and ways that things can clump. And in competitive play, you usually offer, um, your opponent, your, your deck to, to be uh, shuffled or or split or cut or whatever. And a uh, kind of tip that relates is, is take the opportunity to do something with their deck. So even if they like are just shuffling like mid turn because they, they have a reason to shuffle their deck. I, I say like cut it if, if nothing else. And I usually will give it a, a double cut. So I'll, I'll take uh, some of the cards off the top and then a second chunk of cards and then the, the last chunk of cards and put it on the, on the top. So that way you are having some sort of influence on the, the way that they've randomized their deck, no matter what other mistakes they could have made in shuffling, you've had a, a little bit of, of say in that. I like it. Yeah, I I do a a pile shuffle, but I do a five pile because Ooh. of the fact that everything works in sixes in Keyforge. So this way it makes it an odd number going around. Oh my gosh, I love it. Never thought of that. That's really cool. Because if you like, if you take a brand new Archon deck and you were going to six, you're basically splitting the houses in pairs of twos perfectly. But if you go five, you're creating an imbalance and then you just do your normal shuffle afterwards or do it twice. Oh, that's really cool. I love it. I'm totally going to start doing that. <laughs> well, thank you so much for listening to our... Oh, wait, we have a giveaway. We have to give oh, away our last Gotcha. Prize. We almost got you. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. We we almost didn't give it away, did we? Um, all right. Awesome. Well, thank you for listening this long just to find out who won our last giveaway prize. And the name of the deck that we are giving away is Future Self, the Adorable Barony Thinker. Not going to lie. One of my favorite names. The winner of this is Ewald. Thank you so much, Ewald, for the fantastic email that you sent. He actually sent an alphabetical list of all the things he loved about us and gave every letter a reason that he uh, likes Help from Future Self. And so that just that meant the world to us. And we're really excited yeah, for you away. to have this deck and the mat. So thank you again for, for entering our giveaway. And thank you to all of the people that entered our giveaway. Uh, we won't have any more prizes to announce for this giveaway going forward. But uh, definitely stay tuned. We might have more in the future. But on that note, Help from Future Self is on Discord. The link is in the show notes. You can find me on TCO and Discord as SC Steel. Blake, where can people find you and what do you got going on? Uh, just hit me up on Discord. It's uh, Boulevard Blake, BLVD Blake. And you can also find me on my YouTube under the same name. I have pretty regular content coming out. A uh, bit less this week. It's been a very hectic week for me. Uh, but I will be ramping it up over the next coming weeks to get some stuff out there. And hopefully I can keep up with it when I go on vacation. Totally. And we'll be back next week with another episode of Help from Future Self. Until then, stay forward. <laughs>